Hello, welcome back to the Waffle Press Retrospectives. Fuck, it's been so long because we started recording these in the new year now, 2019. Uh, and we're here to, to continue our Halloween retrospective. We talked about Rob Zombie's Halloween, which is both a lot and very little. But now, after the Akkads let loose the chains off Rob Zombie to convince him back to uh, do a Halloween sequel, we're here to talk about Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 which is definitely a Rob Zombie movie. Uh, I, I'd argue the first one's very much stylistically in the same ballpark, but this one's like hardcore Rob Zombie style, aggressively like launching itself into your face. And This what, one might as well not be a sequel. Yeah, it's, it really feels like a, a, a separate entity. And it, it kind of tricks you into thinking like, oh, this is going to be... Halloween 2 Redux, like, all the way by opening in a hospital sequence. But then, you know, after the first 15 minutes, that is... That, that, that didn't happen, so... That sequence goes on so long. It goes on uh, too long. I gotta say, I think, uh... To, I want to apologize to the listeners at home, because I think I'm coming down with some sinus problems. Um, I, I definitely am, because my snoring during this film woke up the entire house. Oh. I killed him. Who'd you kill, sweetie? Who'd you kill? Frankly, like, you know, there seems to be a lot of emotions about this film, you know? Yeah. It seems to be, like, people love it, people hate it. I don't know if that many people love it, but I know a lot of people hate it. Uh, a lot of people are coming around on it. It's kind of like the BVS of the Halloween franchise. Is it now? I, I would say so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, like, if they have to make comparison to, like, something else. Because uh, a lot of people do really, really hate it. Uh, Twitter pals of ours uh, are very outspoken about their dislike of it, and a handful of them are very much into the weird Rob Zombieisms and the very surreal dream sequences. But what what shocks me is that anyone can get that emotional about a film that is so uninteresting. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, no, um, no, because we're at the end of this retrospective, which was a mistake. <laughs> And so this, this retrospective was a mistake, and I feel bad for talking Diego into doing it. Um, although, if we do the Children of the Corn films, everything will totally work out. No, we're not, <laughs> no, we're not doing that. <laughs> Literally, every one of those films is like the most boring fucking film imaginable. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's just, you know, after a while, you kind of get used to the whole Michael Myers stick. And even though this movie is, like, the least Halloween film in the franchise other than three. It's also somehow one of the least interesting. I think in terms of, like, subject matter, it should be more interesting. Because I've said I am a fan of this one, and I still am. Um, when I first revisited it, like, over a year ago, I was like, whoa, I was very wrong about this. Revisiting it for this, I still like it a lot but it did drag a lot more for me than it did for whatever reason when it when it first hit me on that rewatch uh i think i'm drawn to like this this the aggressiveness of rob zombie here as opposed to the first one where i found it off-putting and i i don't know why that is that's that's weird i did too like i found the aggressiveness in the first one like yeah i also found it off-putting and there tends to be that sort of aggressiveness in all his films like everyone talks like what the fucking fuck, motherfucker? Like, that seems to be how 90% of the people in a Rob Zombie film talk. 
and in those other films you find it aggressive and you find it in your face here i just found it tiresome like you got like every scene you know yeah like like i i remember last year uh 2018 now uh mm-hmm. happy new year everyone again but like there was a lot of complaints about some rated r movies that were like oh everything's just fuck fuckity fuck so much language and cursing there were uh, and yeah, that's that was my reaction too. I was like, really? Like, I don't know. Like in Halloween or even Predator, there wasn't it wasn't that bad. And I, then I, like I, I going, totally missed that discourse. Yeah, uh, it wasn't huge, but I, I remember seeing just some some posts about it. And then for this film, though, I felt like that. I was like, Jesus! Like even the coroners were like, yeah, you're fucking fuck fucking shit, fucking uh, necrophilia. And I'm like, oh my god! We're like ten minutes into the fucking film. Like, good lord. Well, anyone who who follows me on Twitter or has listened to this podcast knows that you use words like fuck, shit, goddamn when you can't think of a word and you need to stretch out your thought a little bit <laughs> or you to punctuate an otherwise boring sentence by adding like fuck to the end of it. That's my entire shtick. So I basically watched an entire movie of my shtick back to me and, you know. Yeah, but I- everyone does it back to you yeah i guess now. like in this movie like everyone is just launching into to like french even, tirades even loomis does at times yeah he's like uh we'll get into it but in the director's cut because i will do like a cut comparison between the two films they're very similar but at times they're very different like yeah, i was not able to secure a copy of the director's cut so it it's very uh like, it, it implies that he, like, beats his assistant, or at oh, least, like, threatens to, and I was like, Jesus. Like, this is... If the people weren't unlikable enough already in a Rob Zombie film... You know like, what's weird about this one, about Loomis and this? Like, it's one thing that it feels, like, completely divorced from Donald Pleasance. Like, that's to be expected, you know? Yeah. Like, a new interpretation of the character, but this feels like a completely new character from the previous film. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, he kind of had an ego in the first one. Like, I, I, there was the whole thing where the guy was talking about, as ah, his, his doctor wrote a horrible book about it. He's like, I read that book. It was genius. And he's always talking himself up. But now he's, like, like money-hungry and, like, just ego-driven. He's nothing. And it's weird because it's like a B-plot that doesn't come around until the end of the film. It's like they kind of had Loomis in it because they felt like they needed Loomis. And so to put him in it, they just made him the worst person on earth. Yeah, like maybe that was one note from the from the Akkads at the time, where they're like, "Okay, but you got to have Loomis back." And so mm-hmm. he was like, "You want your Loomis? Here's your fucking Loomis, like fucking." And um, but I I actually like the way the character is used at the very end. But like mm-hmm. everything in this movie, it takes a little too long to get to the points Rob Zombie's trying to make. I think you know what point it's making. All right, let's just talk about the opening. Okay. Because you get it all right there, and that's a big problem. <laughs> the movie opens with a quote, like the previous film. Um, it says, White horse, linked to instinct, purity, and the drive of the physical body to release powerful and emotional forces like rage with ensuing chaos and destruction. Ex- excerpt from... The subconscious psychosis of dreams, which is I don't believe is a real book. I I don't think so. Either. I tried looking it up, and one person said that it was a real thing, but you have to like you know it's one of those like doctorate journals that you have to pay money to read. Oh fuck that! And I but I couldn't find proof of even that. But it might be out there. Well, let's just say so. We get this def- We get this white horse thing. We get an immediate definition of white the ho- what the white horse is, and we immediately cut to a scene of Michael Myers' mother giving him a white horse. And I what that means. And Michael Myers talking about a dream he had with his mother in all white with a white horse in a white hallway. So we're basically told in the opening he's driven by the specter of his mother. <laughs> and then we just watch that for the rest of the movie. Yep. um yeah and i don't remember because at some point we're introduced the idea that laurie who has survived the attacks now has a connection to michael myers like a very literal connection to him 
And I would say that's introduced about maybe like an hour into the film. Like it's concretely introduced. By then, it's it's more solid. It's on solid yeah. ground there. But They've throughout been the f- at it, but they kind of just immediately state it, and then you still have like forty five minutes of the movie left. Yeah, and that's those are the two. That's basically it. That's the movie right there. Yeah, there's, when you when you whittle it down, that that's definitely uh, the movie. But what what I found so interesting in this movie is like the the attempt at like kind of. It, it doesn't really so much explore as just states, but um, how it catches us up with these different characters responding to the events of the first Halloween, like Laurie's connection, like blood connection to Michael Myers is there, and then as it as it's uh, more concretely stated, like you mentioned, uh, the 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 connection through like violence and trauma because that's like every Rob Zombie movie. I'll be honest, they. It, it, like, says that's what it's doing, but I didn't feel that in any way. Like, Laurie's, like, seeing a psychiatrist and all that stuff, played by Margot Kidder, we should say. Yeah, the great Margot Kidder, rest in peace. She, like, everyone kind of feels too dismissive of events that happened one year ago. Yeah. Oh, uh, not to get directly into the cut comparisons yet, but that's the first cut change. In the mm. director's cut, it's two years. Oh. Odd, but oh. I, I, I don't understand... Why that just changed, but even then, <laughs> like I was in a car accident once, like not a bad one, but it fucked me up for like three years <laughs> while driving. I couldn't stop thinking about that accident, and that was a car accident where no one was hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so I can imagine having my friends murdered in front of me. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, it just feels like a little like it says it's it's exploring these ideas and then it kind of doesn't really. It, it's I guess it's not so much exploring the ideas, it's just showing these people dealing with it, which I do admit is, is not that interesting of a watch this time. <laughs> yeah, it's not super interesting. I feel like if it had been all one thing or all the other, it would have worked. You know? Yeah. Like if it had been all exploration of trauma. It would have worked. But we have it, to keep trying to get Michael back into the picture. Yeah, it, it's... It's an exploration of trauma by way of Rob Zombie. Yeah. Because well, I, I wouldn't say... It, 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 he doesn't feel as misguided as he does in the first one. Now his his direction is just kind of like... I understand why it doesn't work for, like, anyone. <laughs> well, one, one thing that I think explains some of this movie is I've read that originally the movie was going to end with it turning out Michael Myers was never in the film. That it was all Laurie. Laurie was committing the murders. And that Michael Myers was going to be like a manifestation of her psychosis. And that works a lot better. Oh, yeah. Than both her having a psychosis and Michael Myers showing up back into the picture. Uh, Honestly, the movie makes sense when you look at it through the perspective that Michael isn't in it. But it's like he wrote that, and then the producer said, no, you can't do that. And then he just didn't change it. He just changed, like, superficially. (laughs) No, it still works until the very end, and then you're like, oh, yeah, Yeah, that that has to happen, huh? It's also trying to bring... It feels like it's trying to get the uh, ending of Halloween 4 right, you know? Where it's it's literally transferred to Laurie? Yeah. Yeah, um, it... It doesn't so much go like directly supernatural, but there is like a mysticism to this Michael Myers that that was honestly kind of lacking for every entry and from except for the first one. You it's know? good that it's there is like an element to it, but it's like unexplained. Yeah, like I, I like these shots of him just like wandering around nature. That reminds me of like the elemental. Like oh my god, there's so, much, there's so much fucking walking in this movie. Oh, there's so much. And there's more fucking walking than fucking the two towers. Yeah. <laughs> like, there you go. Everyone who ever complains about Lord of the Rings having too much walking, one, you just have no attention span, which is fine. And two, watch this fucking movie. Yes. Good god. I love it, but man. And so like just him, he'll occasionally run into people and murder them, and they have no bearing on the plot. 
Yeah, like it, it, it's is it even like a thematic bearing. Because at some point, I was I genuinely started losing interest, and I just couldn't like put together what was going on in front of me. I th- I think what uh, Dombey was trying to do was like show that without like uh, his his pursuit of Lori or like Haddonfield, you know, that he's just out in the world living, but he's still like violent as fuck. So nothing like changed. Mm-hmm. Like he's still murdering, and then he eats a dog at one point, which is like. That's too much, man. You know, like, well, you don't need to see that. Yeah, I mean, he supposedly did it in the first film, but that's also the scene where he uh, we're shown because that's when Laurie starts throwing up, so she has like a direct connection to Michael Myers. Yeah, it's like Order of the Phoenix with Harry Potter, and how he has that direct connection to Voldemort because he's an unintended Horcrux. That is, that's the only time anyone's ever made that comparison. I think in the history of the world. And Laurie it fits perfectly. Strode, Laurie Strode is Michael Myers' Horcrux. That's what happened. That's what these movies are. <laughs> That's why you can't kill them. Uh, I'm gonna at the end of this, we're gonna talk a little bit, or I'm gonna explain to Matt a little bit about the canceled Halloween 3D. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna go ahead and just say <laughs> that you're you're not completely on the wrong track. Hey, there we go. Um <laughs> Uh, which Rob Zombie would not have come back to direct. He he was tapped out after this completely. But Apparently gonna... the, the first one like just exhausted him. And mm-hmm. the only reason he did come back to this one was because they're like, do whatever you want. <laughs> he probably promised that he would get another project off the ground. You know what's fucked up watching this? And the, before directed by Rob Zombie comes up, executive produced by Harvey Weinstein comes up. <laughs> That's the scariest thing in this movie. Yeah, that was the biggest shock of the whole film. Nah. Um, Fuck that guy. Yeah. But it was just, it was so odd. I was like, what fucking, what did he do? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, because the, the Weinsteins were the guys who, like, basically fucked up the, the last couple ones. So maybe the Akkads were, like, able to, like, wrangle this away from him. Maybe. I don't know what. I don't know what Harvey Weinstein's talent is. Uh, I, I don't know. He has money. Yeah, that's I it. think that's it. Because um, it's like, you know, he's, he had like a whole stable of some of the best filmmakers of a generation for a while. But he also edited and butchered some of like the worst movies ever. <laughs> and like a lot of it's his fault. So... Like, I don't think I've ever read a story where Harvey Weinstein, like, took direct control over a movie and made it better. <laughs> yeah, there's no instance of that. Like, it's not like David O'Selznick, like, firing everyone working on The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> like, but, whatever. Yeah, he's, he's, he's gone, hopefully. Yeah, at least he's going to court. It's, it's fucking something compared to he's what's not- happening with the rest of these people. He won't get convicted, but... No, but at least he's fucking out of it. Like, no one's gonna work with him. Well, no, j- j- fucking John Lasseter just got a job. Yeah, which is... And and Louis C.K. by Hook or by Crook is going to come back. Yeah. I mean... Lock all these people in a room with Michael Myers. Yeah. Like, fuck. Well, let's just talk about how cold and calculated Louis C.K. is. Like, he what a is fucking himself, creep. Like, it's so, like, it's so obvious what he's doing, where now he's going after people, like, so his humor is now shocking. So now it looks like everyone's angry at him for his jokes and not that he's a sex pervert. Yeah. Like, now he's getting all those people that are like, First Amendment jokes, you know? <laughs> like those Yeah, those, those idiots that are like, what about free speech? You can say whatever you want. Yeah, and then like all those people are like, hey man, you can't judge comedy while it's still being workshopped. Because, you know, when I was listening to Lucy K saying, fuck the Parkland survivor <laughs> for having an opinion, you know, I could see... How that could later be developed into some sort of humorous joke. <laughs> you know, when I'm developing jokes, I always start with the just gross punchline <laughs> that attacks as many people as possible. And then I just hope eventually I'll be on stage when I come up with a joke. Yeah, that's exactly just like Marvelous Miss Maisel. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's fuck. It's just pathetic. Yeah. On a lighter yeah. note, I, I did start watching that show and it is it's spectacular. I, I fell it- in love. Yeah. I heard it's very good. Amazon is evil, but their products. I'm I'm a capitalist chill now. Well, we can't escape Amazon, really. Yeah, that's probably we just have to kill and eat Jeff Bezos. <laughs> if his wife doesn't first. Oh yeah, she might get him. Yeah. Oh, God, 
That makes me so happy. Oh, hell yeah. Um, I've never been so happy about a divorce. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. My parents, you know. Yeah, that's hey oh, hey, hey oh, <laughs> ruined childhoods. Yeah, two Christmases. Yeah, exactly. Two Christmases. It's the best. Yeah, fuck that. Fuck it's set a whole template for both sides of my family. It's yeah. it's incredible. I just like that. It then turns into like kind of a cold war between the parents trying to outdo each other on Christmas. Oh no, that was definitely a thing. I love my parents, but that was definitely a thing for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Like who's gonna have the best Christmas? Yeah, and then you know I'm just this uneducated like six year old just being like I love everything. Yeah, oh, it's the best. I have processed all of this healthily. Divorce is really good for children. <laughs> it helps them become very functioning adults. No, no, no. See, if I ever get married, that's gonna be like one of the things. Be like, honey, you know what? Like, we're so happy right now. Hopefully, and let's let's just get a divorce. <laughs> like spice it up and then get married again in a couple of years. That's a brilliant idea. Thank you. That's that's how I know I found the one. Yeah. <laughs> so Halloween two, Rob Zombie's Halloween two. Um, there are very few parents in this movie. Uh, there there are less teens in the first one. I think I don't we know. Have, we have Dad Brad Dourif. Oh Brad, um, Brad Dourif is really good in this one. Yeah, oh, he gets a lot to actually fucking do. Yeah, uh, and there's a moment later, like, I, I, do you want to break down this whole plot? Because it, it is it is slow, and the plot elements are not what I'm really drawn to in this movie. But if you want to keep breaking it down, we can. Um, is there anything worth discussing and breaking it down? Uh, no, I just want to highlight some key moments that, I, that I'm really drawn to. Unless you need the context of the rest of the film, I don't think we need to. I'm sorry. All right, people, here's the plot. Lori, it's two years. She had a dream that lasted fucking 30 minutes at the beginning of this goddamn movie. And that you think the movie's going to be about, but nope, it's a dream. She's still suffering trauma. It's two years later in the director's cut, I guess. For some reason. And Michael Myers has just been out wandering the world after the the truck carrying his body hit a cow. Oh, yeah, that was rough. Funniest moments in a movie I've ever seen. Because it, that it was kind of realistic in a funny way. The guy's like cow, and the driver's like, ah, "What cow?" <laughs> <laughs> it was fucking hysterical. Uh, Michael Myers escaped. Everyone just thinks his body disappeared, but that doesn't mean he's actually because he got shot in the head at the end of the previous film. Yeah, Loomis is on a book tour, and everyone's giving him shit. Uh, he has an amazing scene with Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> Uh, that is almost ruined by the presence of Chris Hardwick. Yeah, fuck Chris Hardwick. Chris Hardwick should have died in this movie. Yeah, you know, though, he's playing like an asshole version of Chris Hardwick, so now we actually get to see what he's probably like. <laughs> the camera's not on. <laughs> so we can thank this movie for that. Yeah. It's not um, like he disgraced several of his employees along with being a sexual harasser or anything. Oh, yeah. And fuck, we gotta talk about how we get to see an asshole version of Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> Most antagonistic version of Weird Al ever put to the cinema. <laughs> it's pretty great. I had um, forgotten about that. So that made it, the Weird Al made me very happy. Yeah, it's it's good. That brief moment in the movie is very good. <laughs> and Laura's trying to get over things, and Michael Myers comes back into her life and kills all her friends. That's superficially what's happened. What happens in this film? That that is um, the ending. I were you a fan of of the final confrontation? Um, I didn't really give a shit what was happening. Okay, that's that's, that's fair. If you weren't into I'm the sorry. rest of the movie, I get it. I, I know, like it's the worst emotion to come to a podcast with is complete indifference to the film you're discussing. <laughs> But that's kind of where I'm at. I didn't get much out of this movie. No, you didn't get you, you. You weren't into it. You weren't into it. There's nothing wrong with that. We're at the end of this retrospective, which again I've stated is a mis- was a mistake, and I would like to apologize to the American public for. <laughs> but I just I can't really like I've I I I wasted all my energy on describing Doctor Loomis beating Michael Myers over the head with a bit of wood. Die! 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 There's no Loomis moment like that in this film. Uh, no, but Laurie does get a moment like that. She does, yeah. Yeah, die, die, die. Um, the actress whose name I didn't write down because I was convinced I would remember it. 
I, I thought she was very good in these movies. I'm kind of she bummed she, she hasn't been in a lot more, at least like bigger things. Uh, Danielle Harris also gets more to do along with Brad DeRiff in this one. And uh, I, I like that the franchise was able to keep her around for a little bit because, again, she did have a good relationship with the Akkads until Halloween 6. Um, and she- Judy Greer is great for the next Halloween, the last one we'll be talking about. I would like to see an alternate universe where she reprised her role as that character. That's oh, yeah. all I'll say for now. Okay. Um, I, I'll just list off some things I like then, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about why I like the ending a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that it was shot in 16mm film. Not a lot of films utilize that, and I yeah. thought this one gave it a nice little grungy Rob Zombie classic feel, because uh, this one's particularly nasty. Uh, the kills are really boring, and this is just like a lot of stabbing and grunting. You know, yeah, that's weird. First of all, Mike Myers grunts a lot in this one, which is new. Yeah, like, is he tired? He's is no he longer tired? the silent killer, um, which I couldn't, I, I it might mean something, I, again, like, maybe it's because he's at the end of his rope, and he's going to pass on his curse or whatever the fuck, but again, I'm not that interested in deciphering it. Uh, uh, I, I do think that that's the intention, because he doesn't wear his mask a lot in this one, either. Yeah. And in the finale, in both versions of it, he ends up without the mask. Yes. And dies without it, and Lori's the one that puts it on. Mm-hmm. So I th- I think that is the intention there, and I ca- I can get on board with that. But again, I was I was into this movie. Can we and just think how much of a mistake was for this film to cast like a nine foot tall giant to play Michael Myers? Yeah, like it, that's that. I, never, I'm not a fan of that decision. It it never works. Yeah. Um, um, oh, you know what? It's like a standalone image, mountain man Michael Myers wandering through nature. It kind of works for me there, but like. Then I'm I'm immediately sucked back into the reality that like oh yeah this isn't this isn't Michael Myers this doesn't work okay so the the ending when everything comes together um we we see Daniel Harris tragically bite the bullet her character again but this time it's actually her she dies in Laurie's arms yeah and it, I thought that was a genuinely saddening moment we should talk about the violence in this one because the last one it was kind of like just really like it got really gross at times yeah. This one, it's much more just stabbings, but the aftermath looks a lot like real crime scenes. <laughs> maybe a little much, like maybe there's a little much blood, but like if you've ever seen like a true crime doc, like and you've seen someone who's been like violently murdered, it looks like that. Yeah. The blood um, splatter is very realistic, which is an odd choice. Uh, I, I think he's trying to make it more immediate like i think the 16 millimeter film kind of it, it adds some like texture to the violence that that wasn't in the first one because it's real the first one's really gross but you're right this one has um that immediacy in a way i think and brad deriff uh in the theatrical cut his screams and like yelling after he he, he finds his daughter's body at home mm-hmm. uh, are kind of muted out right yeah in the director's cut uh, Brad Dourif has like this minute-long sequence where he's just a, a broken shell of a man, repeat, like shouting no, repeating it over and over again, just screaming and like almost crying but not able to, yeah. and not not like th- this is intentional. Like it's yeah, when yeah, you yeah. see someone go through something like so horrifying and traumatic, like the loss of a child. Like I, I've seen um, lots of. Uh, comments like even way back early in like the era of the walking dead when it was like okay there's a moment where a character reacts to their wife dying and i thought that was like good i was like wow this show is good for like a scene and then um a lot of comments about it were like oh well, that's unrealistic and i don't know if you ever seen someone like just completely lose their mind from something so sad and like traumatizing it, it it's very authentic it, it's not something you could like capture Anyone who feels like they can judge that is fucked up. I'm just yeah. <laughs> I mean, people respond very differently. Yeah. Well, well, the the weight of something as horrifying and just crushing as this, mm. you you can't really contain that, you know. So this is about as good as it's gonna get. You know, Brad Dourif uh, was considered for the role of the Scarecrow in an unmade fifth Batman film. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah. I just happen to know that. <laughs> Did you want me to lead into like a hype thing or? No. Okay. 
Leave it with that. Okay, well, we're, we're, we're talking about Batman. We already announced that. But. Leave the silence. <laughs> Leave the pause. But yeah, okay, and so the finale, where it's Loomis, Laurie, and Michael in the shack. Uh, Loomis attempts to redeem himself after seeing what an asshole he's been this whole movie. I just want to say, considering how I often derail these podcasts... We're already at the climax of the film 30 minutes in the recording. Ah, that, considering how little I thought this was going to come out to, I'll, I'll take it. And Laurie starts to see the visions that Michael's had of his mother, uh, young Michael, and the not the white horse yet. That's important. But in the theatrical cut, Loomis just like immediately dies. Yes. Like he gets brutally murdered. Yeah. And like he gets fucked up. Like if it wasn't for... Uh, um, our tragically close view of Danielle Harris's character dying in Laurie's arms. This one would be the most graphic. Like you see Brain at one point. Oh yeah, he gets like, fucked up. Well, someone gets shit. fucking the whole face crushed in this. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Never mind. That guy, and then they kills uh, the strip club owner, played by the guy who played Jay Leno in The Late Shift. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this one's this is pretty. This might be the most violent of the Halloween movies. I haven't seen The Late Shift. It's a really good TV movie HBO made about Letterman and Leno fighting over the Tonight Show. Well, the guy who plays Letterman plays him a little broad. Oh. Okay, in the director's cut version of that scene, the scene where Loomis enters that little warehouse where Michael and Laurie are. Laurie's screaming and crying, right? Just like in the theatrical cut, and like the sound becomes like overbearing. And then it just cuts out, and we cut outside to the, the sheriff and the, the cops surrounding it, and it's just silence with the helicopter whirling, the flashing lights. And then Loomis gets tossed the fuck out of the shack, and Michael kills him in front of the police. And then the police shoot him down. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, it's a little more stylistically interesting, but I, the same thing happens. Loomis goes in, fails horribly, and then dies. <laughs> and then dies. Um... And in both versions, Lori attempts to pick up the knife. Uh, only in theatrical cut, she, she takes it out on Michael. And the director's cut, she picks up the knife and puts on um, Michael's mask and attempts to, to further stab Loomis. Oh, okay. Who's only stabbed once in the gut by Michael. So they could have left him open if they did a sequel. Mm. Uh, which is odd that that's the director's cut and not the theatrical cut, but whatever, I guess. Uh, and then Lori's shot by the police mm. in the director's cut. And so you, you fade out into the, the, the final image of both films, of both versions of the film, where she's in the sanitarium with the white horse and the vision of her mother walking down a long hallway, and she looks up and grins. Yeah. I think in the director's cut, it's implied that she dies. Oh. But I, I don't know enough people that care about this movie to debate that with me. That's somehow least, less interesting. I, I think so, too. But again, I, I don't know if that's the intention of that. That's just the read I got from it. So maybe I'm less interesting. I, I just, I, it's just so boring. <laughs> I, I don't try to be that guy, you know. I want to find like something good in stuff these days. It takes yeah. a lot to get me to turn on a movie, to be honest. That's fair. Like it just, you need to like do something really offensive or be directed by Ridley Scott. <laughs> <laughs> God damn, do we fuck I was reading about how Ridley Scott was supposed to do Blade Runner 2049. That was for a while, too. Yeah, fucking dodged a bullet. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is the one time I'll agree with you on Ridley Scott takes. Because for whatever reason, we can never agree. Like on I don't know. Anything on I that. end up liking the ones that you don't, man. <laughs> yeah. Except for both, Blade Runner and Alien. We're both fascinated with the counselor, though. Oh, yeah, that's. Is it good? Is it bad? It doesn't matter. It's something. All I know is the truth has no temperature. <laughs> that fucking movie. Oh, it's great. There's like a, a fucking five minute long monologue from this cartel dude. Yeah, and then at the end, he's like, I think I'll take a small nap if I have the time. And it's just like, whoa, this is what fucking world are we in right now? <laughs> it's great. It's great. So fucked up. Hey, did you get in that movie that Javier Bardem is always talking about what women are like? But he doesn't even realize that his own girlfriend is the one playing him. Oh, I wonder pick, if there's some meaning there. Did you pick up on that? <laughs> did you pick up on that? <laughs> People watching the movie. 
Cormac McCarthy wrote that. That's his first movie script. Yeah, I think he was fucking pulling a prank on Ridley Scott. <laughs> well, no, because they always wanted to make Blood Meridian, and they never... Which, thank fucking Christ, he didn't. If it was as interesting as The Counselor, that would be awesome. No, because you gotta do... Someone's gotta do Blood Meridian right. Yeah, but the, the pros to that is so fucking, like, out there. Like, how do you even film that? I know, but someone could do it. So, it needs to be someone with that viciousness. Yeah. Like, it's, you know... Like, Coen Brothers were perfect for No Country for Old Men. Like, but they couldn't do... They couldn't do Blood Meridian either. No, nah, different. Different style. They're, they're not angry enough, I don't think. I think not, like, not in that sense, anyways. I think, like, vintage Terrence Malick could have done it. Actually, you know, I think Terrence Malick in general, if he, like... If you nail him to, like, a fucking chalkboard and be like, this is a script, <clears throat> we're gonna follow it, <laughs> I think you could do it. <laughs> But I don't think he's interested in listening to anybody. I think he could do it even if he barely followed the script. <laughs> It'll take him like 17 years, but yeah, yeah, yeah he'll do it's it. The 17-year-long production of Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian. Fucking half the cast dies in the middle of production. Oh, yeah, there we go. It's like, oh, fucking other side of the wind, half the people in that are fucking dead. Aww. So, Orson is dead, I mean. Yeah. Oh, I got sad when Dennis Hopper popped up. Oh, yeah. I like Dennis Hopper a lot. Dennis Hopper beat his wife. Never. Wow. <laughs> sorry to just drop that. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm sorry to just no, drop No, I mean, hey, it's important to stay educated. I, I still like, I, I liked his work, but Dennis damn. Hopper is, is like kind of the, uh, what is it? He's like kind of the Nicolas Cage of his day. But, yeah. Also he was, beat his wife. He was a, they were both fucked up guys. Yeah. Oh, shit. Nicholas Cage seems to be at least working things out. Yeah, I, I started becoming a big fan a couple years ago when I saw him uh, uh, put someone in the chokehold for trying to beat up their girlfriend in Vegas. Oh yeah. So that that bodes well, I think. I mean, it just he's a he's a he's a guy. <laughs> it's important um, I, to remember these are all people and not yeah, I, icons. I just remembered that uh, I just posted about how him going bankrupt is the best thing to happen to cinema because he has to say yes to every project that gets offered to him. <laughs> well, now he's out of it, isn't it? Like he's just saying yes to to movies that he wants to do now. I don't know if you're that if you're that quickly out of bankruptcy. No, well, because that, that was like a decade ago. Yeah, but like he's very bad with his finances. If you read why he was bankrupt, he was like buying like fucking like skulls of like ancient animals and shit. Like, That's that makes sense. Like you know, I I don't think he's that great with his money. <laughs> but I mean, because because you know he was in he did two animated superhero movies this year. So yeah, what the fuck? And he did Mandy, which is interesting. He also says yes to like every movie that's made in like East Berlin, like <laughs> 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 those like shitty action movies usually on Netflix. It's like him and John Travolta. Aww. So that was Halloween 2 by yeah. Rob Zombie. You know, Taken was on the other day. And that movie blows. Like that. I, I got a soft spot for it because it kind of started that, like, ironically funny dad core action movie stuff. I just, you know, I'm glad John Wick finally came along so I could be like, no, there's a fucking action movie. Yeah. I mean, even nonstop is like miles better than Taken. Yeah. The Grey is amazing. The Grey is the best Liam Neeson action movie. And it's not even like a directly action-y. It's just so ridiculous and wild <laughs> and just awesome. It's fucking Joe Carnahan. Yeah. He's good. Nice. Is he doing the Bad Boys movie? Uh, he wrote a treatment. or He wrote. He had a finished script. There was like two years of, of uh, pre-production, like millions of dollars spent on previs. Uh-huh. And they scrapped it because Will Smith kept pushing back. I like that I asked you like I care. I don't give a fuck. I know you don't care, but <laughs> I I have very strong feelings about Will Smith's acting choices because Will Smith is uh very <laughs> bizarre. Yeah, like everyone just wants him to be like a fun guy, and he keeps wanting to play like hard and badasses. Yeah, like what the fuck? He can't do it. That's the problem. <laughs> All right, can I just ask you a question? Yeah. Like, we're in the middle of this, like, everyone's kind of reevaluating Michael Bay. Uh-huh. Like, hey, you know, he's actually got more to him than people give him credit. 
But and I'm I, I totally agree with that. And I'm cool with that. But I also don't think that means we should be like hoping he makes more movies. I think people have forgotten just how hate filled his films are. I just like looking at the world through Michael Bay's eyes for five hours or however the fuck long all of his movies are because they're all super long. They're all way too long. When I do that, I just feel like there's no hope. <laughs> there's not like we're all dead. Because he, you know, he's speaking to an audience that's out there. It's like the two Americas thing. He's speaking to an audience out there, and those people are going to destroy the world. Well, I, I think the last night finally shattered people's illusions from that second America, where they're like, "Oh yeah, this is just bad." I guess you know what he does. It's more that he makes money overseas, but even then, it's just I don't I don't know what the fuck's going on. I don't know with his. I mean, but like pain and gain is like so hateful. Like, to a degree that is uncomfortable. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that's him trying to do Cohen's Brothers, and it is not Cohen's Brothers. It's him, you know, trying to do a true crime thing, and it's like he's trying to be like, America's fake, which, yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it's so hateful. You know? Yeah. It's like it doesn't matter what he's saying because he puts the onus on just awful human beings. That bugs me in movies. Did Hall Halloween 2 didn't bug you? Halloween 2 didn't really bug me. I was too right. bored. Uh, so here's some little tidbits about the canceled Halloween 3. Mm -hmm. Halloween 3 would have done this weird thing. The same thing that Halloween 2 does. You could make anything up right now and I would buy it. Okay, I'm not. I'm, I will tell you the truth. Okay. About the canceled script. Because I think the premise is actually generally interesting. Uh, the script is bad. Okay. It is it, it's very bad. <laughs> Who wrote it? Two people named Todd Farmer and Patrick Lussier. That Todd Farmer sounds familiar. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what they've done. But they're, they're, they're people. They, they've worked in the industry. I'm just going to Google Todd Farmer real quick. Okay. Um, and you can tell it's it's very broy. Like Rob Zombie, he's not really like a a, a film no, bro, you know. He wrote uh, Jason X. Oh, there uh, it is. My Bloody Valentine. The original and, or the remake? Um, uh, the remake. That that one's kind of fun. And Drive Angry. I like those last two you said. Yeah, but uh, there's something to them. Yeah. Was, um. He did a movie called The Messengers, but I've never heard of it. I saw that in a hotel room one time. Mm. Not great. <laughs> Kristen Stewart's in it. Kristen Stewart. K Kristen Stewart is one of our generation's greatest performers. Mm. She's okay in it. Um, but no, this, this script's real bad. Uh, I've known Kristen Stewart was a great actress since Catch That Kid. I thought you were going to be serious for a second and say Panic Room, because she's actually pretty good in that. But... Actually, oh, I love Panic Room. Yeah. Jared Leto's good in Panic Room, and I fucking hate his ass. <laughs> Um, so the script opens up the, almost the same way as Halloween 2, where it's like immediately after the events of the first, of the previous film. Is it another 30 minute long fucking dream? Uh, 30 minutes long, like literally 30 pages dead almost. Exactly. Oh, really? Uh, but it's not a dream this time. Uh, Michael is alive, obviously, because the Akkads want to keep Michael alive for as long as humanly possible. Oh, yeah. Uh... One time they didn't do him was a fucking disaster. <laughs> yeah. um, and he, he quote-unquote, rescues Lori from an ambulance, and Lori basically submits to him. Like, it is, it is directly, like, making parallels to that Halloween 4 idea that you brought up mm -hmm. about the evil being transferred. And, but instead of being directly transferred, it's shared between the two now. Okay. And they go on a mini-killing spree through Haddonfield, and Sheriff Brackett doesn't like it's like a mini film within a film almost uh sheriff Brackett is unable to like reconcile that Lori's lost her mind now by this point mm -hmm. and she ends up killing him okay uh and then she gets captured and taken to a hospital while michael myers disappears again and then everyone through through the ringer again oh michael's dead he's gone he's disappeared nothing to worry about and there's some really skeevy stuff in, like, a mental institution. There's no, like, rape scenes or anything, from what I remember, thankfully. Because uh, that keeps happening in yeah, Rob Zombie movies. Uh, but again, Rob Zombie would not have come back to direct this one. And if he had read this, I can't imagine why he wouldn't. 
but the rest of the film takes place in the sanitarium. There's like a lot of descriptions of like the the other women in the sanitarium that are kind of uncomfortable. Like when they're in the showers, they're like, oh, all of our clothes are gone. Michael Myers took them. And it's just like some dude playing a prank on them. And it's like, mm-hmm. why is this? Why is this here? You know? Uh, but then it would have been a slasher set in the sanitarium where they're picked off one by one. But it would have ended in some place really interesting where it was like a Halloween festival because, of course, it takes place in Halloween. Yeah. Um, in front of like this giant pumpkin, like with this really interesting description of like uh, this imagery of Laurie and Michael like teaming up to kill people, but Laurie being unable to discard the rest of your humanity. Like they, she directly talks to Michael, but but he doesn't respond. No. Okay. Uh, and so she's unable to like kill the last victim. And um, there's, like, a subplot with, like, a, a deputy and, like, another, like, a nurse in the sanitarium where they almost blow up Michael. But instead, Lori's killed, like, with the shrapnel and a crossfire. And so Michael ends up wandering the wilderness again, leaving it open for a sequel. And it's, like, the most pointless ending ever. Like, there's nothing. Like, there are ideas that I, I talked about in there in the script, but it leaves you with nothing by the end. So it's like, what the fuck? Were they even thinking, you know, like they really wanted to distance it from the Laurie Strode thing again, because I think they they realize and trying to make this a franchise that they can't keep going back to that because there's only so much you can do to one character for so long, you know, at least in a movie like this. And so, yeah, it wasn't a very fun read. I was really interested in checking it out. And then I was like, oh, this, this sucks. Yeah, that didn't, it wasn't that didn't set my head on fire you know then, no but uh, the the idea of like like the original halloween 2 set entirely in a hospital is kind of interesting is that kind of thing but it sucks setting your head on fire isn't a saying i don't know why i said that setting the world on fire i saying the world on fire is but like setting the I, world on fire and it didn't blow your mind or anything it, it, i guess blow my mind is what i was looking for yeah um yeah it's it sucked um, I can tell it sucked and I didn't even read the fucking thing. <laughs> hey, uh, Congressman Steve King asks when the term white supremacist became offensive. <laughs> this is where we're at, people. Well, there's no politics in Halloween ever. I don't know. That we, was... gotta, we gotta build a wall. Around the Loomis house. I mean, <laughs> Loomis house, what the fuck? The Myers house. I know, I just, I got like so, I got so angry at myself for doing a wall joke like halfway through it that I was like trying to bail, but I couldn't think of a way to bail. <laughs> um, well, that's the Rob Zombie Halloween duology. Mm-hmm. Do you think it was an interesting diversion? No. Okay. I mean, it was fine. It's not... It's not really my cup of tea. Uh, yeah, that's I. I don't have much more to add. No, no, that's that, that's fine. Um, yeah, no, still not a fan of the first one. Kind of a fan of the second one. Uh, mostly, I think I'm just into movies that use 16 millimeter because mm-hmm. I I think it's a really interesting aesthetic choice. Yeah. Like uh, I saw mid 90s and I thought you know that was it's fine. Mid 90s was fun. Yeah, it's it's okay. I guess I I didn't love it, but I was like, "Hey, I like that Jonah Hill used sixteen millimeter for his first movie. That's kind of neat. Good start to a career." Yeah, no, he'll he'll go places if he keeps it up. I'm I'm interested in seeing what he does next. Mm-hmm. Uh, the part of the movie that annoyed me was the character who is also making a film within a film. <laughs> well, that's like, how you know it's like art housey. I don't like that. I guess I don't know. Didn't like that bit, but other than that, I thought the movie was fine. It's better than Halloween too. Actually, yeah. no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't like it as much as this Halloween too. I, I liked it more than Halloween too. But do you like it as much as the next Halloween movie? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> okay, I did, I did like, I, I liked mid nineties, but I haven't revisited the new Halloween. I liked the Halloween enough to see it twice. I think mid nineties worked because it was like ninety minutes. <laughs> so, if it was any longer, just like stop. Yeah, I was like, I uh, can't these dopey kids for 90 minutes <laughs> all right so next up we're talking about the final installment in the halloween franchise for now for now for now mm. um it's a very interesting 
We are now cursed to walk the earth to do a podcast whenever another Halloween film comes out. <laughs> well, I mean, we kind of... It'll, it'll, be, it'll be like two years, but it's still. It's better than to talk about another fucking alien movie. I knew you were going there. I fucking knew it. <laughs> Am I wrong? Uh, yes, because I like the last two. these goddamn movies? Me. Why? Because I like them. There's nothing worth revisiting in that franchise anymore. I've seen Alien Covenant like ten times. That fuck it. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> you could have done anything. <laughs> well, to be fair, I've seen The Predator like five times, so make of that what you will. That's a little much. I couldn't. I don't think I could sit down to watch The Predator again for a while. Uh, it's casual viewing. I'm not like glued to the screen, but I'm like, Haha, I like this part. So wait, how many times have you like dropped everything you're doing to watch Alien Covenant? Uh, I I, ha- I do a lot of background viewing, so I'd say like three times. Okay, yeah. I hope you've done at least one of those with other human beings. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh no, I'm like obsessed with showing people movies. So yeah, I I always do that. I get obsessed with films every now and then. Yeah, like I swear to God, I don't know what it is. I just got hooked on the Predator, so I apologize to everyone listening. That's Hopefully, I'm over it by the time this podcast is released. That's fine. Yeah, I've been hooked to the Last Boy Scout for the past couple of months. Fuck yeah! Throwing that in whenever yeah. I'm bored. That, that's a good one. Yeah, it's great. You know what else is great? If you could let people know where they could find you on the internet, not in real life. I'm at Emperor OTN at Twitter.com and YouTube. There will be something on that YouTube eventually. I swear to fucking Christ. And you can find me at Twitter at D-E-W-G-O Waffles. Uh, follow us on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, The Waffle Press. If you didn't like this episode, like and subscribe anyways, because you might find something you do like. I fucked that up, but whatever. You got the idea. No one, <laughs> no one is listening this far. Everyone is stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Oh, We've been professionally unprofessional. About this fucking podcast. Bye. On August 28th, evil is here. It's walking amongst us. Michael is more evolved. Rob Zombie. I'm not strong enough. Completes his extreme vision of a terrifying legend. Kill her, baby.